0: A couple of weeks ago, I was on a call with a book study group from another parish who were wrestling with how we live our faith in the real world. The group had read the book that I wrote a couple of years ago, and they wanted to discuss it with me. And over the course of our conversation, someone asked me how it was that I came to serve as a priest in an urban downtown parish. I paused and thought about it before offering my honest response and here it is I serve in an urban downtown church because by myself I am NOT a courageous person that's the truth and here's what I mean it would be tantalizingly easy for me in my life to pursue ministry in some idyllic parish somewhere (laughs) buffered by storybook aesthetics and amenities that grant me permission to imagine slowly but surely that the whole world looks like me and shares only my values and concerns. A large part of me would prefer that life. I could envelop myself in it, and if I am honest, I will admit that I have an innate tendency to want to do so. Serving the cathedral, serving and proclaiming God in the midst of the city forces me to be and do otherwise. This cathedral exists in the very heart of the financial and judicial and recreational center of our city. And we abide among those who live on the very margins of society, to put a fine point on it. I can't walk from our parking garage to my office without interacting with the homeless virtually every day. The cathedral's context forces me, it forces all of us who make our spiritual home here, to leave our bubbles and engage in the complicated, blessed mess and panoply of real life. And I need it to do so. I need the cathedral to remind me daily of God's greatest commandment. The wily Pharisees ask Jesus, Teacher, which commandment is the greatest? And in response, Jesus draws forth the deepest conviction from the Jewish tradition. He recites a portion of the Shema. Which is, according to the Talmud, the first thing that a child must learn to say and the last word that should come out of a believer's mouth before she dies. Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' words quoted from both Deuteronomy and Leviticus beg three questions for us. First, why is the first commandment first? Second, why is the second commandment second? And perhaps first of all, what is love? Well, modern love is almost always conceived as an emotion. Love is understood as the feeling of love, that heady, passionate, upending rush to which we so readily give ourselves and of which we despair in confusion and lament when it dissipates, or, God forbid, when it disappears. And that's the very problem with the modern conception of love like a gulf coast hurricane it hits with full force but it eventually peters out sometimes leaving damage in its wake too many marriages end for instance because of this conception of love when the feeling of love ebbs when the couple no longer feels in love then they're left wondering what could possibly remain and how the life they have built together could endure such a drought and they walk away but that conception of love love as primarily a feeling friends that's the creation of romantic poets as hard as it is to say and hear it is not central in Scripture and it is not what Jesus means today love in Scripture is not primarily a feeling it is a dogged act of will it is an all-in commitment that surrenders the self to something beyond the self and once the self is surrendered it cannot be taken back Love is courage and hope and steely-eyed dedication that is most pronounced exactly when those warm and fuzzy feelings are not present. Such love is what God expresses when God creates, not once upon a time, but in every moment. As God doggedly wills the creation to be and holds us in being, against the chaos of the world that would, if God's love flagged even for an instant, unravel the world. Such love is what Jesus expresses when Jesus doggedly carries the cross on the way of tears and travels through the agony of the passion and death itself to draw us with him into eternal life the first commandment is that we love God with all our hearts and all our souls and all our minds in other words the love that creates us and holds us in being the love that saves us and redeems us from darkness to light, we are to receive and return to God. That's the whole meaning of life. In fact, we are the love song that God sings, and our lives are to be the echo of that song back to God. And not only when we feel the warmth of God's presence, but with a dogged commitment of will, even and especially when feelings of ecstasy or comfort or peace are absent. Because that's what love is. But when we grasp this about love and about God, And when we find ourselves wanting to return God's love to God, how do we do it? The answer is why Jesus tethers the second commandment like unto the first. We can worship and pray and sing, but the incarnate Christ tells us that the way God receives our love is not through such things. Indeed, on their own, they're merely flattery. And flattery is never true love. We echo God's love for us. And what God wants from us is to love our neighbors as we ourselves are loved. And this too, even when warm feelings toward our neighbors are not present, Or more so, when the feelings that are present are fallen, petty human feelings, like disagreement, or disregard, or disgust. Even then, our love for neighbor must be as dogged and persistent as God's creating love. As Jesus' redeeming love. our love for neighbor is the surrender of our will to God's will and such surrender is just really really hard for 21st century Americans because part of that surrender is that we don't get to choose our neighbors they are the entire human family including those who look and think And believe and act differently than we do. And beyond that, our neighbor includes the whole good earth that God has made. We are to love them all. And with the same commitment with which God loves us. I make my home at the cathedral. And I suspect you do too. Because you want to echo God's love in that way and if you're like me you need the courage to do so and that's why we're at Christ Church see here we cannot escape Jesus words I actually mean that literally because they're enshrined in stained glass just above our organ console every time we walk up to the high altar but beyond that In downtown Houston, we find ourselves in the midst of both the broken despair and the blessed fullness of God's world. Every category of neighbor is at our doorstep. We see them and we acknowledge them and with the love of God given to us and flowing through us as our dose of courage, we love them. And if we can do it here, then maybe we can echo that love everywhere we are, everywhere we go. God's love echoed through each one of us adds a note to the world's song. To end with a different metaphor, in 1994, Nelson Mandela wrote this, quote, No one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. Love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. Even in the grimmest times in prison, when my comrades and I were pushed to our limits, I would see a glimmer of humanity in one of the guards, perhaps for just a second. But it was enough to reassure me and keep me going. Human goodness is a flame that can be hidden, but never extinguished. So love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself openly, doggedly, and with courage today and always. And the chorus of God's song will resound to the ends of the earth Amen.